Welcome to NGA Notable Lectures, a podcast offering a deeper understanding of all things artistic. Richard Norrisbrook enjoyed a long and successful artistic career in Washington, D.C. Active in almost every local arts organization, the painter served as vice principal of the Corcoran School of Art from 1902 to 1918. Of the numerous paintings by Brook that represent African-American life in rural Northern Virginia, A Pastoral Visit, 1881, is the most celebrated. Purchased by the Corcoran Gallery of Art in 1881 and now in the collection of the National Gallery of Art, the work depicts an elderly minister seated at a table with a family of parishioners. The artist portrayed the figures in this large canvas with a degree of humanity and dignity rare in 19th century images of African Americans, which Brook criticized as works of flimsy treatment and vulgar exaggeration. He grouped the highly individualized figures as a tight domestic unit engaged in a cultural activity important to white and black families alike. In this lecture, delivered on May 14, 2015, as part of the Works in Progress series, Sarah Cash examines this fascinating genre scene in detail, revealing new discoveries and ongoing research about where and when it was painted in Warrington, Virginia. I should have called this new discoveries in progress about a pastoral visit, because as you will see, there are some discoveries, but a lot of them are in progress, true, true to the title of the series of talks. And we'll be talking today, I'll be talking mostly, about this painting, which is on view upstairs in the West Building, close to um, the garden court on the east end of the West Building, if that makes sense, in a little sort of alcove across from the great Edwin Austin Abbey painting called Sylvia. And this is actually a, a talk about this painting, and it's a talk about real-time research. I mean, literally, I, I have been in the throes of research while doing other things for the last few weeks, in fact, um, and have gone, made a couple of site visits, one of them just last week. And I've been trying to kind of delve into the biography of this painting. Um, that's sort of my goal in this, in this research project. That, that I have. So uh, Richard Norris Brook is, um, and actually I'm calling actually also my research abilities honed a couple of different places, but most notably here working on this, uh, one of the volumes of the systematic catalog at the National Gallery in the late 1980s where I researched a lot of American paintings and a lot of quirky American paintings. Not that this is quirky, but it has a lot of things going on in it. As you can see, the general subject, of course, uh, is, you can tell by the title, a visit from a pastor, um, the man at the, the far left. Uh, here's his hat, his, probably his Bible on top, his umbrella suggesting that he's come in from the outside, and he's, he's a guest, he's not staying forever. Uh, and he's visiting this African-American family. He's being served dinner, some dumplings perhaps by, the, um, the matriarch here, her husband, their children, a little cat, uh, completes the scene with banjo, very centrally placed, a very important object in this painting, a very important object of the history of African Americans in this country, brought over as it was from Africa by slaves. So uh, then, so that's, that's what's going on. The, the, um, more, a lot more about this painting. One thing that I will say is that this really is Brooks' best known and best loved painting. And so much of what he achieved in his life, his, his, uh, most of his works of art, in fact, no longer exist. They burned in a fire in 1909, sadly, in Warrington. Uh, and I'll be saying a little bit more about that in a moment. Uh, 
Brooke himself uh, was born, as you saw on the last slide, in Warrenton in 1847. At age 18, he entered the Pennsylvania Academy of the Fine Arts in Philadelphia. Uh, he was an arts instructor after studying there in three colleges until 1871, when he became the chair of fine arts at the Virginia Military Institute. He then, remarkably, as far as I can tell, was counsel at La Rochelle, France from 1873 to 1876, subsequently staying in France and studying in the Paris studio of Léon Bonnat, uh, and then returned to this country in 1880 to Warrington and then Washington. He uh, achieved many medals uh, and honorable mentions in various, various exhibitions. He painted landscapes in France, portraits, genre scenes, kind of a full range of work. He was president of a very important organization here in town called the Washington, uh, excuse me, the Society of Washington Artists, which I think is also the Washington Art Association. And he was vice principal of the Corcoran School of Art from 1902 to 1918. Uh, and was under his uh, tenure, the Corcoran School of Art grew its enrollment and instituted a modest tuition charge of $10 a year. <laughs> so Warrenton is about, I don't know how many of you have been there, in Fauquier County, about 50 miles west of Washington. I've been there twice now in the last month, trying to uh, do more detect detective work about this painting. Uh, I mentioned that Brooke was a student of Bonat, and in fact, he signed a pastoral visit even though the inscription is cut off in this photograph, Richard N. Brooke, 1881, élève de Bonat, or student of Bonat in Paris. Uh, and here's a work by Bonat in the Metz collection um, that some of you may know. Also, um, now in 1881, Brooke sold the past, a pastoral visit to the Corcoran Gallery of Art, still during Mr. Corcoran's lifetime. And there's, in fact, correspondence between Brooke and Mr. Corcoran. Mr. Corcoran actually supported a number of artists' studio buildings uh, in downtown Washington. It was very much part of the art scene here. And I'm going to start with the facts that sort of we've known for a long time about a pastoral visit. And one of the things we've known for a long time is that uh, Brooke wrote in 1881 to the Corcoran director offering the painting for sale and said that it has been his, had been, quote, his aim while recognizing in proper measure the humorous features of my subject to elevate it to that plane of sober and truthful treatment which dignified the peasant subjects of Jules Breton. And seeing a painting by Breton also from the Corcoran's collection at the left, very much um, dignifying peasant, <laughs> peasant subjects. And there has been disagreement over the decades, actually, as to how generalized or individualized the features are in Brooks' painting, uh, how sympathetically they're treated or not. This is, I'm not going to address that debate today. I happen to think they're quite individualized and quite sympathetic at a time when depictions of African Americans were not always. In 1914, uh, Brooke described the painting as, quote, a sincere reproduction of a phase of pastoral life familiar to every American, every American. But the war changed everything. The romance, the essential pastoral quality of Negro life was undermined. I had caught the last flashes of a fast changing social order. Uh, he was quoted in the Washington Times as saying that. So we have, we've known these things, a couple of different things that uh, Brooke wrote about the painting. 
And we also know that among the very few works that still that survived the 190 fire, in addition to the pastoral visit, was a painting called The Dog Swap that is just up the street at Sam. Not on view currently, but it has been on view. Um, almost exactly the same size, in fact, identical size, painted virtually at the same time in two different studios in Warrington. More about that in a little bit. Clearly the exterior of a building and a dog swap, just, just as a footnote, uh, is as the name suggests, uh, a trade or a swap of dogs, specifically a swap of kind of mongrel dogs that were used to tree wild animals um, in, to, to aid in hunting. Not a very humane, well, we won't get into that. Never mind. Um, but these uh, the gentlemen depicted in the painting were, were um, trading their dogs. I went up to, to see if it was on view. It's not on work currently. The other thing that we, um, we have known for a while, but I rediscovered when I was writing the text panel for, um, for the a pastoral visit on view upstairs, is that Brooke kept this incredible record of work, as you can see, serving to some extent as a history of my professional life, as a means of tracing pictures and studios, pictures and studies, excuse me, painted and disposed of, especially since my departure for Paris in 1878, which I just mentioned a few minutes ago. So um, I knew about it. I wanted to reproduce a page from it in my text panel, which I did, as you can, you can see. But this record of work, I knew, was sort of the key to understanding more about the artist, about whom so much was lost in this 1909 fire. Uh, when getting permission to reproduce this on the text panel, I spoke with the Sam librarian, formerly the Corcoran's librarian, librarian uh, and he said, oh yes, that record book was donated by the great-grandson of the artist, and he has the original, and he's, he's around, you can call him, here's his number. <laughs> I thought, oh, well, that's a great idea. So I gave him a call, also Richard Norris Brook. Uh, he did work in Northern Virginia. He has retired to Warrenton, where most of his family lived for a very, very long time. And about a month ago, uh, I spent the afternoon with him, and we took a little walking tour. We saw the brook plot in the Warrenton Cemetery, which he is the self-appointed keeper of, and does an incredible job of like cleaning and mowing and restoring this beautiful little gate. And there's the artist's tombstone. We walked on further. Uh, and it's so nice he was so amenable to, to meeting with me. Turns out, by the way, he does not have the original record book. This kind of broke my heart. Um, he has a bound photocopy. So the original has to be somewhere, but um, it had been in the possession of his father. So if you're in antique stores, flea markets in, in the country, in Fauquier County, keep an eye out, because it might be there. Uh, we went on our walking tour a little further. I was relying a little bit on research that a colleague of mine, Liz Toby, had done when she had given a, a talk about a dog swap. So I knew, uh, and some of this is recorded in the Corcoran's files, that this was the Brooke homestead built by Thaddeus Norris Brooke in 1812, owned by Brooke's father in the 70s and 80s. Um, who They had an African-American servant, Georgiana Thomas. More about that in a moment. We know that Brooke lived here, across the street. I mean, we're talking about a very small area. Uh, there were slave quarters there. And I'm not sure whether Brooke was born here or here, but these houses are right across from each other. That one you can tell has had, well, this one's had a Victorian porch put on it, but anyway, that's another story. So, and here's a little aerial view, just so you can see a small area I'll be talking about more is here between Smith Street, 
um, Diagonal Street, Winchester, and Waterloo. And here's the, the downtown of Warrington, very small. And so you can see this was Brooks home. Uh, which burned last year, so sad. It was a restaurant, and these were slave quarters behind the structure. This is his father's home. This is the house where he might have been born. And we'll talk about a couple of other structures right around here in a minute. Well, the record of work, uh, the entry for a pastoral visit in the record of work, I had known about for a long time. This is what's reproduced upstairs, or part of it anyway. Um, painted in the summer and early winter of 1880 at the Tyler Studio, Warrington, the pastor comma, old George Washington, comma, the host, comma, Daniel Brown. I take this to mean that George Washington, uh, whatever his profession, was probably not a pastor, but he was the model for the pastor, the way the sentence is written. And Daniel Brown um, was the model for the, the host. The, these were Brooks' neighbors in Warrington. In the background to my own composition, a subject contemplated long. I took it to Washington early January 1881, where I opened a studio at Vernon Row, 945 Pennsylvania Avenue. There exhibited it, and later at the Corcoran, where dot 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 uh, was purchased by Mr. W. W. Corcoran for the gallery at the sum stated, $1,500, as you can see up here. It was my first decided success, and unfortunately fixed my reputation as a painter of Negro subjects. Um, by which I, I don't believe that Brooke meant that he was sorry to have painted Negro subjects. What I think that he meant was that, like any artist, he didn't want to be kind of put into a little box or a little hole as painting only one kind of painting. In fact, he did paint many, many landscapes in France, which I you know, see little drawings of in the record book, but they no longer exist. So I, uh, again, was, I, in this talk I'm relying to, to some degree on the research of, of a colleague who did some census work, and I went back over the census work to, to make sure I could figure it out for myself. And here, indeed, there's only one George Washington living in Warrington in 1880. Listed here, uh, black male, 62, married laborer, unemployed three months during the census year. Can't read, can't write. Uh, then, for Daniel Brown, the presumed uh, the model for the host, uh, here we are with the entry from the 1880 census. Daniel Brown, black, male, 45, married carpenter, married to Maria Brown, black, female, 40, keeps house. And uh, that, was, that was more or less the extent of what had been known about the painting when I decided to um, revisit some of the things that I knew were facts, like what Richard Brooke, Northbrook recorded, and those which are sort of, I'll call them country le legend or Fauquier County legend, because there had been a lot of writing and thinking over the years uh, about other things. For example, in a 1966 Corcoran catalog for which there are no notes and no footnotes, the woman, the mother, was identified as Georgiana Thomas. And I thought, well, was she Georgiana Thomas? Or no, excuse me, she was, she was identified as Georgiana Weeks in the Corcoran catalog. And then I looked back and well, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. Georgiana Weeks, she was said to be. And the interior of the house was said to uh, be based on, loosely based on, uh, or to depict the interior of a house at 28 Smith Street. So I decided that it was my task, having thought about this painting for a very long time, 16 years at the Corcoran, but, and having written about it, researched about it, edited a, book, edited a book that included writing on it, but still, I had never been to Warrington. I'd never kind of 
seen for myself what was to try and figure out what was going on. So that's what led me to, to Warrenton the first time that I mentioned. Uh, then just last week I was there doing more work and I wanted to uh, see what was going on. Who, um, the Brooke family is listed here in the 1870 census, at which point Richard Norris Brooke was off teaching in different, um, in traveling in different places. That's why he's not shown, but his siblings are, his parents and his siblings are shown here. Also a Georgiana Thomas, not a Georgiana Weeks, but a Georgiana Thomas. So I don't know whether <laughs> That person, who was a, who was a, well, as it says, is um, domestic servant, black, 17, could have been somehow involved as a model for the painting, and someone just made a mistake and called her Georgiana Weeks, because I have no evidence about this Georgiana Weeks person, only that she appears in a secondary source. Then uh, another nice thing that's included in the record of work that the artist's great grandson owns is the Brooke family genealogy, hugely helpful. Although, you know, it's always complicated to read genealogies, but these names and ages all matched up with the ones on the census, happily. Uh, and then you see Richard Norris Brooke here is the second oldest, uh, and these other people all show up on the census. Um, so good to know the family was intact and Richard was away. So then I thought from there, what clues in the painting um, can also can help me with, with further figure identification and or the identification of the space depicted, which everyone I met said, well, that's 28 Smith Street. And I thought, well, if it is, I want to try and find out and look at the inside of it. So I've sort of taken apart the painting here and go through bit by bit into little parts of it that I'd been thinking about. And the first part was whether or not the interior of this painting has had any bearing on this little house at 28 Smith Street. It was clear to me the interior was um, interior of a brick house that was painted or stuccoed because if you look through the window, there's a little bit of brickwork there. Um, these beautiful original wooden floors, this high fireplace. Well, um, through the town historian and someone that he knew who used to own the house to a realtor to the current tenant of the house who's renting it, I was able to go inside the house last Wednesday, which I was absolutely thrilled about. And the current renter happily uh, let me in and she has a couple of teenagers. I have one. The first thing I said to her is, I cannot believe there are teenagers living here because it's so neat. And she said, well, they're all upstairs. So she let me look around the first floor. She's a writer. She, was, she, she teaches at, um, at Mary Washington. She was so interested in this subject. So I went in. This is the exterior of the little house on Smith Street. Beautiful house built in 1790 on the historic register. I don't know if that's modern or historic, but I love it right there on the front of the house. The side of the house, this is a modern addition in the back, needless to say, um, some changes to brickwork. Interesting thing to keep in mind. Uh, then she took me inside the kitchen, Kristen, her name is, she's right there. And then I thought, oh, well, this could be the interior depicted in the painting, but I'm not sure. The fireplace looks a lot different. Um, the window in the painting is just here. There's no window here. This is actually a door to the front of the house, all of which is original. I mean, the whole house, except for that addition in the back. Here's the fireplace. And then, uh, but it could be, and this was, we talked about this at the end of the last, at the Q&A, it could be that the fireplace over time uh, 
change from being a high opening to a low opening. In fact, you see some change in color of brickwork here. Um, and this is kind of like a, a little modern reproduction, kind of a flimsier version of what this looks like, very substantial. Now, Brooke said the interior was his own invention, but I'm thinking that this, this could have been um, an interior that was the, part of the inspiration. Well, clearly a lot of people in town think it is because look what's hanging on the wall. <laughs> and it's been there for decades and was put there by a former owner. Um, color reproduction of pastoral visit. And there's Kristen uh, looking at it. Beautiful, beautiful little house. Um, and the front room has, I guess I didn't put any images. The, the floors in the kitchen are brick, but I think they're modern brick because the, the front room kitchen is right behind through that door and through that door, which is now a closet, but the front room has these beautiful floors which are quite similar to that. So uh, then I went on to the Fauquier Historical Society and just happened upon something very helpfully labeled old kitchen. Um, and it certainly looked a lot like the kitchen in the Brook painting, and I'm guessing a lot of kitchens in, in Warrington and small houses did look like that. So to, um, to orient you, I realize I have to fix these maps a little bit, but we were, a few minutes ago, we were just here, um, Richard Norris Brooks' house here that burned down, his father's house there. Well, here's Smith Street, like one and a half seconds away, 28 Smith Street. This whole area between Smith Street and Diagonal Street, Waterloo and Winchester, Winchester's where a lot of the big, big, big houses are. This building, 28 Smith Street, originally was a dependency for a very large, um, um, slave owner's house up on the hill that Warrington, Winchester Street is lined with those. So, but this whole area in here was an African-American enclave in the 19th century in the middle of what re one resident told me was White Warrington. There were other African-American neighborhoods, but all around here are very wealthy people living up here. Um, but this, this all was where African-Americans lived. And we've seen a little bit of that with this the censuses. Now, the censuses sadly don't always list the streets. That's a problem. Um, I have more work to do. I then then thought about 28 Smith Street and let's and maybe I could figure out a little bit more about its history. Again, one of my colleagues had done some looking into the history of the house, which in fact in 1874, just six years before the painting was painted was, or at the time the painting, Pastoral Visit was painted, 28 Smith Street was owned by Adelaide Brown, colored, African-American. She was willed, she was bequeathed the house by her, um, by George L. Ball, as you can sort of see here, I think, who gave to her in 1874 his house, lot of land, residence, town of Warrington, and there's a, there's a typo in the transcription. I should, should read also my bedstead, bed, and bedding, bureau, cooking glass, all my household and controlled furniture, which um, designed as a compensation for services and attention to me during sickness and decrepitude and infirmity incident to advanced age. Well, remarkable and wonderful that this 28th Smith Street was left to this Dadley Brown, who, uh, as it happens, is here and this particular census, for some reason, has streets, whereas others did not. We know that Adelaide Brown lived very close by. Let's see how far away. So she actually lived here, right behind the Brown homestead, across from Richard Norris Brook. There's the 28th Smith Street that she inherited. Here, um, yeah, so she lived on Pelham Street, which in the 19th century was 
Ninth Street. Um, it's very confusing for a researcher to go to a town where all the numbering was reversed in the 20th century, which it was. So here she is, Adelaide, um, who now, as of 1874, owns the house 28 Smith Street with her other family members, as you can see. And so going from there, mapped um, where she lived. And now she didn't live in the house at 28 Smith Street for a little while. So clearly not when the painting was painted, according to the census. However, she owned it. And then I began to think, uh, as I looked more at the painting, as I had for quite some time. And a lot of people who look, have looked at this painting have said, well, that's a very, um, it's a very well-appointed interior for an African-American family that looks like they maybe don't have a whole lot of money. They're patched clothes and, and so on. And I thought, well, what if the interior were, in fact, based on the interior of 28 Smith Street and therefore would have been filled with all the belongings of Mr. Ball, who had given the house to Adelaide Brown and, and uh, Brooke, I mean, such a small town, he would have seen this and been inspired by it. Went on to kind of think about many of the different forms of, of decorative arts, um, ceramics and glass depicted here, coffee grinder, what one colleague described as a, a tea jar, um, a few other things up there that you can see. And I wrote to uh, a very favorite curator at the Philadelphia Museum of Art, my second favorite curator at the Philadelphia Museum of Art, David Barquist, the curator of American decorative arts. And he said, well, actually, that blue and white jar is definitely a Chinese ginger jar, um, utilita utilitarian object and very popular during and after the 1870s with all craze for all things Japanese and blue and white. He said, without me having prompted him, I'm a little surprised to see it in an African-American interior, but it could be interpreted as an old cast-off from the kitchen of a wealthy household that the poor family saved and displayed because it was pretty and fashionable. And this, I mean, then I sort of think, well, maybe there is something to this interior of 28 Smith Street with all of its contents having left, been left to, um, to Adelaide Brown. You see, I haven't come to a lot of conclusions, but I've been doing a lot of thinking. Then uh, I discovered in, Nora, in Brooke's record book two references to Aunt Adelaide's here and here, um, paintings made of Aunt Adelaide's. And in the 19th century, quite often, African-American uh, women were referred to as aunt. Uh, and here it says Aunt Adelaide's um, same background as there is for the dog swap. And you can kind of see the similarities there. In Adelaide, not a very common name, and maybe this is Adelaide's home. Maybe this is Adelaide's home down at the corner, the one in which she actually lived, as opposed to the one that she inherited and would later occupy. So I uh, went on, and it's a little disjointed, but I'm, I'm trying to sort of share my, my ongoing research. I then was able to locate, which no one had done before, the, um, the sites of Brooks' two studios. The dog swap was painted at the Yates studio, and it was painted there only a few months after uh, a pastoral visit was painted at the Tyler studio. Doing some census work, I think I determined that um, this was the Tyler house or business, and was called the studio because it was in Mr. Tyler's house. And the only Yates in town was a very prominent person who had his business here, um, which then would have been, would have housed the Yates studio and the Ugly Blue Star is here to show you that this is the African-American um, 
sort of enclave just here and where Brooke lived, so, so close to where the studios were, where these paintings were painted. Then I thought, well, um, there are other parts of the painting I don't know enough about, and in fact, I've always wondered why there's this circus poster uh, up in the corner, and you can make out just barely the end of the word circus, there's something obscured by the door, and there are some letters up here that perhaps when we unframe the painting, which I hope we will at some point, um, see if you can make out any other letters of the circus. Well, I got out, or I got, found a lot of books on the history of the circus poster, the history of the circus. Couldn't really find too many references to Warrington, Virginia, or to a poster that looked like that. But I did last week, last Wednesday, when I was back in Warrington and went inside the, the house, 28 Smith Street, discovered in my research that a cow pasture very close to the locations we've been looking at was the site of many circuses that passed through. So I was thrilled to find this information, but I still haven't found which circuses and when. But Brooke himself was certainly familiar with the circuses that went through, um, having made an engraving for Harper's Weekly in 1872, seeing the circus pass, a Virginia sketch, uh, which is not a very good reproduction from Harper's, I'm sorry to say. Uh, then I've, uh, I may or may not have mentioned this already, but um, I, well, I did some research on cigars, unconscious cigars. They, that seems to be a made-up name as far as I can tell. Um, but perhaps I, I sh should have mentioned at the beginning, the pastor's being served dinner. The, the father of the house has his arm very firmly on a cigar box, which holds money gathered from the congregation that will be given to the pastor when he leaves. And the fruit uh, also that's wrapped in a little piece of fabric here will also be given to the pastor when he leaves, um, leaves the dinner. Uh, the banjo, which uh, doesn't doesn't require further research, really, um, just to know that it was so important, clearly very important to to African Americans everywhere in 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 America, but especially in Warrenton, and especially for Brooke to depict in a very central location in this picture, so beautifully beautifully painted. And in a jarring arrival in the 21st century, just to show you where these, uh, where Brooks Studio was at 945 Pennsylvania Avenue, which is approximately where the FBI building is now, um, this, this group of studios called Vernon Row, and there were a number of artist studios between kind of what's now Metro Center and the Corcoran in the late 19th century. Mr. Corcoran himself um, bankrolled at least one of the buildings, and a number of artists lived in that area. I just, in my research over the years, have come across. I think it's just so interesting. Um, and there are a number of other paintings that we could talk about. So the painting was showed, uh, Brooke brought it to Washington, showed it in this Vernon Row building, then he showed it at the Corcoran Gallery, which in 80, 1881 right away acquired it, as I mentioned. And I love any excuse to show these photos of the original Corcoran building, now the Renwick Gallery. And what happened to the painting after, afterwards, or what happened to its reputation, its biography? Well, it, it, and any, any newspaper that you pick up in the 19th century or the 20th century, or even 21st century, say how popular, how incredibly popular this painting was um, amongst visitors at the Corcoran. And clearly, its popularity endured um, in other ways, in a wood engraving in Harper's Weekly, and Brooke himself, I think, thought about making similar paintings. I know he thought about making similar paintings from his record book. He talks about, uh, in 1893, a work called Theological Discussion, Colored Subject, Three Men at a Table, Cat, Woman at Fireplace. 
sounds quite a lot like the composition of Pastoral Visit, a little bit different. He gave it to his father um, for Christmas in 1894. And as Kathy Foster and I have dis discussed recently, uh, Brooke seems to have, a white artist, seems to have been very much um, living a parallel life to his friend and contemporary Thomas Hovenden, who was a a white artist living in Plymouth Meeting, Pennsylvania, painting many, many beautiful genre scenes, of which this is only one, um, depicting his African-American neighbors. And sure enough, as I told Kathy yesterday, I was going through the record book uh, and found in very, hard to see this writing, especially since it's a photocopy, but he's talking about his 1896 painting, Curfew Hour, begun 1888, repainted several times, well thought of by Hovenden, and I was, Delighted to find that, suggesting they know each other, they'd talked to each other, they'd seen each other's art, and they knew that the, the other person, they were doing very similar things. Hovenden um, had a similar background to Brooke, um, studied in Paris, spent a lot of time in Brittany painting peasants, um, and I can go on from there, but so interesting that these two artists were um, kind of following parallel paths. Then we find in Brooke's record of work, 1899, uh, the notation of a painting called Sunday Morning, Dressing the Family. This was uh, of an African-American family. This promised to be as popular and more modern than the pastoral visit. It was the most severe loss in the fire of 1909. Uh, Brooke also to undertook other African-American subjects at the record of work on the right. You can see uh, his record, his uh, notation of a painting of a Negro wedding, 1882. Painting it, painted at 945 Pennsylvania Avenue, don't you wish those were still artist studios, as a study for a larger picture, it has many figures. And I looked at that, and then just about, well, a few months ago, a colleague of mine came across this stereograph, um, which dates from 1897, also over an African-American wedding. And in the background of the stereograph is a reproduction of a pastoral visit. And how, I mean, how, is that a Harper's Weekly engraving, a tear sheet? I have no idea, but it's so interesting to me and wonderful and not surprising that such an amazing painting would have such a long life. Well, that's not that long after the painting was painted. Um, uh, and was, was used and enjoyed in so many different contexts. And last slide is, um, <laughs> is a wonderful image, I think. Uh, some of my research took me not only to organizations in Warrenton, but also this one, the Afro-American Historical Association in Fauquier County, of Fauquier County, which that should read, but it doesn't, in the Plains of Virginia. And as I was finishing my research, which included finding out that there were circuses held in the cow pasture, which is so exciting, the founder of this incredible place, who founded it in 1992 and is still the director and has built up genealogies and research, and she's written books all about African-American life in Fauquier County. She said, uh, well, before you go back to Warrenton, because I had many other research stops, she said, you have to come see our pastoral visit. And so she took me downstairs in the museum where she's constructed incredible timelines and photo murals of life in Fauquier County. And there's this installation in the corner of, of pastoral visit, constructed by her, volunteers, school teachers, children, Clearly this painting is, well, there's a blue, faded blue reproduction, because there's skylights here. Um, the painting is so important to the people who live there. And there's the couple, here's the banjo, here's the man, he's got a book, I mean, clearly not all the figures. A reproduction of the Harper's Weekly engraving, 
Someone built the window, someone built the fireplace, the cupboard, um, can't, that maybe that's the circus poster, a door to all be complete this installation. And I was just so delighted and excited to see that. So um, I can linger, that's, that's really, I told you it was a work in progress. I don't have any great earth shattering conclusions, but I have a lot of things I wanna keep working on. So, but if you have a question or two, I'm happy to take one, and Kathy and you and I should talk about this more later, huh? Yes. Um, can you speak to whether or not the pastoral visit painting on Brooks led to him not um, making any other paintings? I mean, you just told me about the Sunday morning, mm -hmm. but is it true that there was some connection with him and this painting, and he then retrieved into some other form of work other than painting figures? Can you speak to that? Yeah, so this is a really good question. The, the record of work is uh, hundreds of pages long, and on each page, as you may have seen, there you know he's documented three or four works. So I've just given you a kind of very, very, um, small look into his huge output, most of which was burned in that 1909 fire. Um, and he did, uh, there are a number of African-American subjects, genre scenes, but also landscapes and uh, portraits. Those are the three things that he did the most of. Of all different you know, of African-Americans, of other people. I mean, the, the spectrum of work is, was enormous. So he definitely didn't, he didn't stop doing the subject. He kept doing it. It's just that, sadly, so many of those things were, were burned. Yeah. I mean, I think he was, it seems to me, he was rather fully integrated into his, where he lived in Warrington, and he continued to um, undertake similar subjects when he moved to Washington. He seemed to go back and forth between Washington and Warrington quite a bit. Thank you so much for coming, everyone. This has been a National Gallery of Art podcast. 